And that's our goal today, Jesus. Whew. Make sure that what it is we do and what it is we say and how we respond today, that it will be honoring to you. I know sometimes we just say the words, and I, I'm guilty of that too. You help us to just dig a little deeper today personally, Lord. Speak to us a little clearer. Sometimes it's, we hear the same old thing over and over. What is it you want us to do today? How is it you want us to respond? Who is it you want us to be and or touch, Jesus? Speak to us today. We are your servants and we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Morning, everybody. Got uh, just a couple things here for you today. Um, We're really struggling with our children's ministry, everybody, and... um, Marcia told me that if we don't get somebody to help with the nursery in the 4th through 6th grade, we're probably going to have to close those in February. So I know that the Lord's been speaking to somebody, and that's not going to have to happen. So I just mentioned that to you so that you'll just feel that nudge of the Spirit today and see what it is that He wants you to do. Secondly, um, uh, aren't you thankful that uh, this weather wasn't here when Pastor Daniel and his wife were here? I have a video announcement for him at the end of the message today before the, uh, uh, before the, uh, the um, announcements there. So, All right, in your notes there, I, I, got a, I got a graphic I want uh, Derek to put up here for me. Derek, tell me if you know who this guy is. Drew Brees. Yeah, anybody have a clue why I have a picture of that side of his face? He's got a scar. It's got a birthmark, actually. It's a birthmark. It was when, and if you ever seen it up, I saw one picture up really close. It was gross, even to this day. It's weird. It's, it's a birthmark that he had. And, you know, he had one voice. You know how it is when, when you're a kid, any little thing to let other kids mock you, it's just, it's just bold and bright, you know. Somebody goes through fourth, fifth grade. Before you know it, they got a set of glasses, and there's like four eyes. And we find all kinds of things. Maria's brother's name was Tony. He was overweight, two-ton Tony, all kinds of wonderful things. But Drew Brees, from an early age, had a voice that continued to speak to him amidst getting made fun of for it. And it was his mom. And his mom said to him, you know what that is, don't you? A lot of people don't have that. You do. Because that's what happens when an angel kisses a human being, a little boy. I know that's bad theology, but it helped. It helped him in a lot of ways. I don't know if you followed much of his career, but he was injured. I think he was playing for Miami. I don't know. Nobody wanted to pick him up. He was, you know, short, 6'1", for a quarterback, probably only six foot. To me, that, that's tall to me, but anyway, that for a quarterback, that's short, you know. And uh, they, they, everybody passed on him. New Orleans picked him up. And you know the kind of player he is today. Took him to a Super Bowl championship, playoffs most often. He, he's the kind of guy, if you know anything about him, I don't know if he's a Christian, I think he is. He stood up when it was bring your Bible to school. And he got mocked mercilessly, put down by the local media. I saw an interview of him that lasted about seven minutes. And he was, just, he was just giving it back to the media. I hope he's a Christian. Lord knows that uh, Louisiana, it's, uh, New Orleans, they need some Christian influence there. But it isn't just so much that there was this one voice uh, that was speaking into his life. It was also the fact that now this mark that he has, if you could put up the next graphic for me, all kinds of kids are getting tattoos or having their face painted with that mark on them. It's like now it's a, it's a badge of honor. We want to be like Drew Brees. One voice in the man's life that continued to help speak to him that 
you're not common. In the top of your notes, I have the fact that I put that life is common. While there's one voice speaking in his life, I don't know what voice is speaking in your life, but I know that there are many, many voices that are speaking into the lives of all kinds of people, and they're saying basically life is common. There's really no difference between plant life and animal life and human life. They're all the same. You know that. That is exactly what they're teaching. That's, that's why the love for animals and, and the, we spend more money on taking care of animals than we do the poor. That, that's why, you know, everybody's hugging a tree lately. I'm not going to, well, I'll just let that pass. Uh, you know, we are, the, they're teaching us everybody's on the same level. It's all somehow connected, this, that, or the other. On the evolutionary line, there's an amoeba, they're the same as an ant, a fish, an ape, a dog, a bird, and man. It's all just common. In common in regards to who it is, what it is, and where we're from and where we're going. And today is National Sanctity of Human Life Day. I notice that some folks in some of the advertisements left off the word human. You notice that? Sanctity of human life. Uh, sanctity of life Sunday. No, I love the fact that Reagan in what was it, 83, 84, you know, about 11 years after Roe versus Way, says, you know what? There is going to be a sanctity of human life. Because there's all kinds of life. Human life. And he established that, and it's become the third Sunday in January. I've never really done a message that talks about what all life is. I've recognized it. I had several people say, are we going to do anything special? And I just sensed the prompting of the Spirit to say, let's just make it today about what all life is. What all life is, but most especially human life. You know, today something's happening that from conception to death. It's getting to the place where they're devaluing human life so much so that honestly, honestly, think about it. Plant life is on its way up in regards to value. And human life is on its way down. Animal life is on its way up. That's why you can get fined for doing certain things to animals. And human life is on its way down. This word sanctity, I didn't do enough research to know where he came up with that, where Reagan came up with that. I don't know where it came up, but I love it. I, I think as Christians, as we understand, I don't know if, if evangelical Christians gave him the word, he thought of himself. I have three definitions in your notes that just connect right to that word. And there's definitions. And the first one really is in regards to holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The three references to holy, because here is the definition, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness, having a divine quality. Holy. And derived from that is several different words. One of them is sanctify. It's found all throughout the scripture in various forms. It's to set apart or declare holy or consecrated. It is what happens to a Christian. They are set apart. They are sanctified in an ongoing way and hopefully a time and a day in your life where I said, boom, I want to be all in for Jesus Christ. And then I Take a look at the word that's used for today, national sanctity of human life, the state or quality of being holy, sacred, or saintly. I want to say to you again, today is not a message where I say, well, gee, I I went home and I I really felt good about the message. Today, I just would ask, could you please say to yourself, Jesus, what is one thing you want me to do in one area? Because we're going to talk from conception to death, different ages, different perspectives. And, of course, there's no place better for us to go than the book of Genesis, the first chapter. It's the sixth day of creation. I have in your note that life is not common. It is unique. 
human beings, you can say just right from Jump Street, were set apart, sanctified, different than every other part of creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Three times now the word in one sentence is the word created. So God created mankind. Notice no other part of creation was given the stewardship job of ruling over except mankind. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, here it is again, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Number one in your notes, I want to take a look at the word uh, image. So it's life's reflection. If I read this correctly and I understand this word correctly, it's life's reflection. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing an image of God, of God's creation. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, man, I look like God today? (laughs) Have you ever done something and said, that's something God would do? Because not just, it doesn't carry with it the looks so much, as much as the essence of. The word in the original language has this phraseology. It's, the, it's a meaning to shade something. You know, it means I went to pick out a shirt. I said to Maria, I said, well, does this one go with this? And she's like, no. When we go to pick out paint for something, well, I shouldn't even say that. When she goes to pick out paint and I hold her purse, she looks at the shades. If there's red, then there's all the shades of red. If there's green, then there's all the shades of green. If there's yellow, you know, and so on. The passage of Scripture said there is God and you are a shade of Him. That's what the word image carries with it. You're a shade of who He is. We're not Him, we understand that, but we are a shade of Him. Every time a child is conceived, we do what God did. Not the same way, I get it. A child is conceived. And you and I, women, they bear A brand new creation, made in the image of God and made in the image of mom and dad. We continue on with what he had started, created in his image. All life comes from God, and not only are we made in his image, he's given us the ability through birth to create images. Images. When we look in the mirror and we see God's image, we see his creation, we see his shade, we are a shade in the same color scheme as he is. The animals didn't get breathed life into. They don't have a living soul, a living spirit. Life is not common, no matter what all the other voices out there are saying. Thank goodness there was a voice in Drew Brees' life. And I hope the voice in our lives is somebody who loves us and the voice that comes from the Scriptures. You're not common. You are unique. Number two, I want to take a look at life's resemblance. Oftentimes people look at the word we're made in his image, but they don't look at the word likeness here. You know, sometimes after service I'll go back here and I don't always know whose kids or whose kids, but I'll see a kid and I'll say, oh man, that, that, that's John's son. Not because he's causing trouble, John. I mean, that, I can see, oh my gosh, look at him. That, that's his kid, I can tell, I can see it. It's a likeness. That's what the word likeness means. It's the word for similitude. Similitude, it's to be similar to something. I have in your notes Jeremiah, and I could have very easily went to, here's a good reference, Job 33, 4, you know. 
Job goes all the way back to creation. If you want to write it down, he says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of Almighty gives me life. That is exactly what is taught. I love Jeremiah because as we look into Jeremiah, as we look into the Scriptures, we always learn something that we may not know. We learn things that we may not know about ourselves and our God. In Jeremiah 1, 5, can you imagine Jeremiah having to write this down about himself? That is what I'm hoping for you to get a sense of today. He says, God is speaking to Jeremiah. Hey, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, four times he uses the word I. It's what about he's doing in Jeremiah's life. You know, I, inf- I formed you. Isn't that what Psalm uh, 139 says? I knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he says, I, before I formed you, I knew what was going on. He says, I knew you. And for me, for 25 years of my life, I thought this was all about religion, about where you go, denominate this, that, the other. And then I came into the wonderful relationship of Jesus Christ. He, he, he said, I, know, I, I knew you. And every person that is born has this wonderful ability to have this relationship of him knowing you and you knowing him. He says, I set you apart. It's the word for holy. I set you apart. And the truth of the matter is, though many people don't find it, it is meant of you too. And you and every person, I've set you apart. He says, I knew what you were going to do. You were going to become a prophet. Isn't it interesting that Jeremiah is made in the image and the likeness of God, and he's going to do the exact same thing that the prophet Jesus came. Got the same title. Now, everybody doesn't get the gift of prophecy or to be a prophet, but everybody has a gift, and your gift is a reflection of a spiritual gift that adds value to the body of Christ. I formed you. Here's this likeness of Jeremiah from God as creator. You know, I knew you. I knew you were going to be. It's almost like Drew Brees' mom saying, I know something about you, speaking into his life. Jeremiah, to me, it's an example of what God wants to say to you and me. Jeremiah is dead. But David talked about it. Jeremiah talked about it. Job talked about it. So that you and I would know that he sense his love and his presence. Jeremiah is an example of God's ongoing creative, creative work even right before you're conceived. Every human being has a resemblance of the Creator. I've done, you know, a lot of funerals. I don't know if I've done as many funerals for people who don't know Christ that knew Christ, but I think it's about 50-50. And every time I sit down and talk to the family, I talk to the family half hour, whatever it is, get some information, every time... I can find two or three things that makes them like God, even if they were not following. I don't put them in heaven, but even though they, they, they're not following Christ, still the thumbprint of God is on. I see something they did, how they treat people. They're strict about this. They love this. They love that. Whatever. There's something about them that no herd of animals could ever do. What has any animal or fish ever done on this earth Anything that's crawled or... What have they ever done to improve anything on this earth? Walleye. All that does is it improves my my eating habits. You know? Mankind, I know we haven't always done good with the freedom and the creativity we have. 
But I do know that there's advancements on this planet because of mankind. There's technology. You don't have to use a VCR anymore, everybody, all right? You know, it's going to live streaming, you know, all kinds of creativity and progress because of mankind. That didn't come from no animal. Number three, we have life's reflection, we have life's resemblance, and we have life's death. They say, right, there's two things you can't avoid, death and taxes, right? Death and taxes, unless you run away from the country or you have so much money you know how to avoid taxes, but I digress. When life is not seen as an image or as a likeness of God, it tends to spiral out of control. And death, just something else. It's no big deal. There's no eternity anyway. It's not my intention. I'll say this again as I give you some information about some of the things that I've come up with and many things you know. It's not my intention to make anybody hurt or feel bad about what they've done, but I want to offer to you 25 years of breaking every one of the Ten Commandments that I could, coming to know Jesus Christ is offered to you too today. So life's death, you know, uh, the, born, the unborn and the born. Isn't that, notice that lately? It's not just abortion uh, taking the life of, of an unborn baby anymore. It's Virginia, I believe it was, and New York. Now when the baby is birthed, the parents can make a decision there. Do, do we want to take the life or, or don't we? Life's death comes in several different ways. January 22nd, 1973, maybe you know that that's uh, Roe versus Way. It's when across the United States, every state, now abortion became legal. Before that, since 1967, there were a smattering and a continuing unknown numbers of states who were allowing abortion. Roe versus Way just made it national across the board. Since that time, 60 million abortions have been performed in America. We've killed the number of children equivalent to a combination of these states. Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Idaho, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Dakota, Utah, Wisconsin, and Wyoming, 19 states, 60 million people. And I talked to you today about not just the unborn. We're devaluing life, and death isn't that big a deal when it comes to the suffering, when it comes to those with Down syndrome, when it comes to those that are, have a terminal illness and accident. Now, folks, I want to talk to you just a minute here about some different things that are going on. And I have friends, including my wife, and, and they're in the medical field. Some of these things are not so cut and dry and easy. But I, I digress to give you one point in regards to that. But I just wonder if you know what's happening in regards to doing and taking a look at uh, screening tests across Europe and America in regards to infants and what we can find out about them before they're ever born. In regard to uh, prenatal screening, uh, in Iceland, uh, since the early 2000s, a vast majority of women chose close to 100% if the child had Down syndrome to abort the baby. And Iceland says, we almost don't have any Down syndrome children in our, in our country. Yeah. Almost 100% from what I understand and see what's going on, they're terminating their pregnancy. There's mercy killings. That's what they call them. 
you guys all remember Jack Kevorkian. He's slid a, little bit, slid a little bit into the past, but many people say he was just a pioneer. Pioneer for assisted suicide, you know. I don't know if you know about the doctor in Youngstown. This is closer than most people realize. The doctor in Youngstown, and I think the name of his hospital was Mercy something. Helped 25 over the years. I, I think the number was 25. Take their life by over-medicating them with pain medicine. Now, everybody here, the nurses that I talk to, they basically say to me, anybody can resist any kind of further medical treatment. No ethical part of it. But to assist in mercy killings, to insist in taking people's lives, euthanasia, you know, uh, the elderly. Folks, I've talked to people who spent time in other countries who are saying you get to a certain age, 80, 90 years old, if you break your arm, why should I, if we're all paying for the medical support, why should we have to put the money there? Wouldn't it be much better with somebody younger? These are what I've heard coming in my ears from somebody who's a relative of ours. Euthanasia, it's illegal in the United States. But assisted suicide, hmm, a little different wording. That's legal in Oregon, Washington, Vermont, and California. Isn't that how abortion started? Several states, and then eventually the nation? Now, this was pointed out to me, that by legalizing something like assisted suicide, we have to create a governmental agency that can oversee it. And they're the ones who will decide who lives and who dies by telling you which medical plan you have or if the government's medical plan will pay for it. We would never slip into... Nazism and what Hitler did. We would never slip that far down. We don't think about how far things go. When we legalize something in this country, we have to create a governmental oversight who will determine who can live and who can die. It's a slippery slope. Life is not common. It's unique, not just from its conception, all the way... Did you see the picture in the newspaper of the elderly woman? I think she's 92 years old, won several gold medals and stuff like that. They said she gives most six-year-olds a run for it. She was holding two of her uh, Olympic gold medals. 92, 96 years old, man. Life. My, my, my wife has a mom and dad. Uh, the mom is basically just she bedridden. She doesn't talk. She doesn't move. Wasting away to hardly nothing. But when I watch my wife take care of her mom, I, I learn something. I, 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 I can't do what she could do. I tell the Lord, have mercy, honey, don't you get sick, because I don't know if I can help. What I learn when I watch how she takes care of it, it does something to Every time I'm there and I see her kindness, her mercy, you're talking to her mom, folks, we, Maria's family has doctors in the family, and those doctors have said that the physical goes before the cognate almost all the time. I said, you know, what's the possibility that they may not be able to respond in any way, shape, or form, but they're hearing? I guess we'll never know on this side of eternity, but the top doctor at Michigan University is Maria's cousin. He says the physical always goes before the mind. When we're around people, we have to talk. I, I don't ever put them down or talk to them like they're not there. I don't know. I want them to be encouraged. 
Folks, there's life's death, and then there's number four, there's life, there's death's cost. It, it just, it's just a natural thing of what's happened. Death's cost. Uh, you know, people say all the time, I said all the time, the greatest resource we have is people. You know, and, and then you think on that, and you think about what you have with money. You think, and, and, and so we say it, but then we can just so very easily just get rid of it. Right? Uh, death's cost. What does it cost us talent-wise? What does it cost us economic-wise? And what does it cost certain racial profile groups of people? Number one, in regards to what it cost us talent-wise, in that 60 million, you know, extrapolated throughout, that they say it would be about two United States presidents and two vice presidents, seven Supreme Court justices, one chief justice, 28 Nobel Peace Prize winners, 69 governors, 92 U.S. senators, 532 congressmen, 151 U.S. ambassadors, 328 Olympic medalists, including 133 of those being gold medals. Yeah, cost us talent. I mean, we know the economic side of it. Because we know what's happening in our country. We know that, you know, if the birth rate would have stayed the same, one for one, you would be in pretty good shape. But now it's like for three people that are retiring, one person is carrying the freight of their Social Security. How long can that last? I discovered something else here today. I I just think that we need to know. It has to do with racial distribution of the population. What's happening to the Caucasian and the whites? What's happening to the blacks? What's happening to the oriental? What's happening to all different kinds of people? I I personally believe there's one race, the human race, and all of us just a a little bit different. There's something called a total fertility rate, which is the average number of births that a woman has in her lifetime. In other words, if Chinese, Japanese, blacks, and, and whites, if every woman has a fertility rate of 2.11, it sustains. It just keeps right on going and whatever it is. A little bit more, the population grows. A little bit less, the population dies. The total fertility rate is 2.1. It's a replacement level. But for the first time in 1983, 10 years after Roe versus Wade, the fertility rate of black women dipped below replacement. About 11% of Caucasian and whites have been wiped out by abortion, but a staggering 31% of blacks have been aborted. You know, for those of you who don't know and understand, you, you do understand that liberals in this country advertise abortions on billboards and flyers and every other way in black neighborhoods, in low-income neighborhoods, and people who are poverty rate. And then they offer them to for free and doggone it, you and I are paying for it. Who, who's a lover of the people? The Christians standing up saying all life is sacred. All life is made in God's image. All people of the human race are made in the image and the likeness of God. And my concern in your notes that is eternity is being neutralized. Maria, she does all this reading, told me about a woman. Maybe you heard the story. She was an advocate for assisted suicide. She had a terminal, so she thought, a terminal illness. They started treating her. She started getting better. 
She was on her way up. Everything was going good. It was getting better. She was so committed to it, she went through with it. She had to go through with it or lose face. It's what she believed in. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us something you all know, that God has said eternity in the human heart. But nobody's thinking about eternity, where souls are dropping into eternity. We've just neutralized it. We've pushed it out of the way. And since we can live holy, since we believe this is a sanctified life, the only way that we would ever have a seed of of living a holy life or being sanctified, set apart, is if what God put inside of us is holy. And God breathed into mankind and created precious, precious life. Today's National Sanctity of Human Life Day. But for Christians, it's every day. And the challenge that I have for you comes from Proverbs 24. And for me, verses 10 through 12, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? For those of us who lean on the mighty arm of our powerful God, if you falter in a time of of uh, weakness, how strong are you in a time of trouble? Verse 11, listen. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Doesn't that sound a lot like Jeremiah? God speaking in the book of Jeremiah. Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Oh, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not having to worry about any of that. My wife wanted me to go see the movie Unplanned. How many of you saw the movie Unplanned? I think it was being offered at uh, Painesville Assembly. If I was you, I wouldn't go see it. Because that's what I had every intention of doing. What do I want to go to a movie and, and watch something I know? It's a movie about a, a woman who uh, literally worked and, pro- and assisted in abortion after abortion for Planned Parenthood. And then I, I made every excuse not to go. And then she, she's pretty conniving. She found a couple that said, hey, why don't we go watch it? We'll watch it together. They want to go. We'll go get something to eat. So I watched it. And that movie wrecked me. I could not stop crying or weeping after that. I went out to eat, and I had to put my sunglasses on. I, I was just embarrassed by the fact I couldn't. I said, Maria, from this day forward... I'm going to be a part somehow or another than just being a pastor talking about it. And I said, whatever happened from this day forward, it's your fault, dear. (laughs) I told her that, and I've reminded her of that. We became, after we made the decision, which is all I'm asking for you to do today, is to make it, after we made that decision, we started finding out about a wonderful women's clinic, Bella and Maya, and one that now is coming to Lake County. A wonderful women's clinic with this different approach. We became involved in it. We became financially involved in it and are a part of it. And, it just, and we're just saying, what do you want us to do? I just, I want to say to you, would you just simply open your heart to whatever that is? Because I, I didn't know anything about Maya until God had got a hold of my heart. Well, you're a pastor. You're telling people about it. I don't know how many of you know Stan Toller. I got a picture up here. Stan Toller, you got that graphic for me? 
Stan Toller, really good guy, a big part of those of you who are uh, Church of the Nazarene, you know, a pastor and general superintendent, an author. He did all kinds of conferences, traveled, authored over a hundred books, died at age 67. I believe it was, I'm not exactly sure if it was cancer or something like that, died pretty young, 67 years old. He tells this story that I heard. I didn't hear from him. I heard it from somebody else. About a time he's getting ready to go to a conference, and he's getting ready to get on an airplane, and his flight is canceled. His flight isn't delayed. His flight is canceled. He's wondering, now am I going to get to this seminar? I'm leading the seminar. Am I going to be able to get there? And so he finds another flight, finds another flight, gets the dreaded middle seat. Right? Three over here, three over here, you're over on this side, the window seat and, and, and the aisle seat, and he's hoping, and he's thinking, like all of you, maybe nobody else will come and I can stretch out. Not too long after that, they're getting ready to leave, and down the aisle, and, uh, a uh, stewardess, uh, flight attendant, whatever you call him, is uh, escorting down an 11-year-old little boy with uh, Down syndrome. He's got the, he's got the window seat. Oh, sure enough, comes a businessman, a businessman takes the aisle seat, and they're sitting there. Just about the time they're taking off, as I understand and hear the story, the, the Down syndrome boy hits Stan Toller. Boom. Hey, sir, tell me, did you brush your teeth this morning? <laughs> about this time, Stan, from the story, he's like, he's like relaxing a little bit. Oh, man, it's not going to be so bad. He's wondering if you're going to get there. He said, I sure did. He said, good, the little boy. He said, everybody needs to brush their teeth. A little while longer, boom, he hits Stan in the leg again. He says, excuse me, sir, did you say your prayers this morning? Stan Toller says, well, yes, I did. I said, good, the little boy says. Everybody needs to say their prayers. Sure enough, he gets, boom. Hey, sir, excuse me, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? And he said, why, sir, I'm a preacher. He said, I didn't ask you that. He said, well, yes, I am. I am a Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Good, everybody needs to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Flight goes on a little bit. Boom, the little boy hits him again. Excuse me, sir, would you ask that man next to you if he, he brushed his teeth this morning? <laughs> he says, it's not really polite to interrupt. He says, and the Down syndrome boys start getting louder and louder. He's like, okay, sir, the, the, our young man here wants to know if you said your prayers this morning. Yeah, I'm sorry, if you brush your teeth this morning. He says, yes. And Stan says for the first time, he's starting to think, God is doing something here. He says, I think I know what's coming next. Sure enough, boom. Excuse me, sir, would you ask that man if he said his prayers this morning? He says, our little buddy over here wants to know, did, did you say your prayers this morning? And the guy couldn't answer, didn't have an answer because he didn't. And about then, Stan says, the Holy Spirit is here. Because sure enough, boom, excuse me, sir, ask that man if he knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he says, our, our friend here wants to know, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And according to the story, I heard the man start tearing up. And right there on the plane, Stan leads him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What is it, 30,000, 35,000 feet? A boy with Down syndrome is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me we can't learn something from somebody that society says is common, from somebody who's elderly, 
from somebody, Maria's mom and dad, who can't say a word, and yet when I watch her take care of them, there's something to be learned. I know it is a complicated uh, uh, topic when it comes to uh, euthanasia and elderly and that type of thing, but they consistently remind me anybody can refuse treatment at any time personally. What does Christ want you to do? From conception to death, what, what, what is your heart drawn towards? Jesus, today, we celebrate the sanctity, the holiness of human life. The only reason we're celebrating that is because of you, made in your image, made in your likeness. We've seen what a fallen world has done. And maybe there's some people who were like me. Ah, that pastor, I mean, he talks about it, this, that, the other. But then you grab the hold of my heart. I don't know what you'll do in the hearts of those that are here today. Maybe in the medical field, maybe in uh, elderly care, uh, abortion, uh, caring for uh, the unborn, whatever it might be. But today, Jesus, I think the only thing you want people to say is yes to whatever it is you've said to them. That will be plenty. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.